0: which has been enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have not been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers. On the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach every one his fellow citizen, and every one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all will know me, from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. When he said, a New Covenant, he has made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And now as we continue to worship you over and through your word, we pray that you would guide us, Lord. Give us eyes to see, hearts to understand, and the will to do your word. Give me your grace, and give the people your grace, Lord, for Christ's sake. Amen. I'm going on a trip this summer, all the way to Orlando, Florida, and I can't fly, I have to drive. One of you has to come with me. I might take Dennis, and we'll go on on a car trip. From here to Orlando, Florida. We're going to go south down the 5. And then we're going to go all the way into the 5 into Los Angeles. And then there we're going to take Highway 10. Have you ever taken Highway 10? We're going to take Highway 10 all the way across. You've not. All the way across to Orlando, Florida. But part of that trip, once you leave Los Angeles, all the way to eastern Colorado, is basically desert and it's pretty hot. So, Dennis and I, we have a long trip to make. However, we can choose two different cars. We can choose an old Model T car, you know, the kind that has the stick and you have to wind it up? Because I love antiques. They're so special and precious, so much part of our history. We should never forget about them, and we should value them. They're important. Or, we can go in my brand new 2024 dark blue, I, I'm joking, I don't have it, Toyota 4Runner that has incredible AC, gets okay gas mileage, leather seats. Now, it it doesn't have the, the specialness and the antiqueness of a Model T. Which car should we use? To go across the desert. The Model T, we could put the top down. It, it's basically a convertible almost. Or the Toyota 4Runner. Which should we use to go across the desert? If we chose the Model T that we made into a convertible, not only would that be unwise, potentially it could be What? It could be dangerous. (laughs) We could get really stuck in a very difficult situation. As special as that antique car is, and it certainly has some monetary value in terms of it being part of history and ancient, it's not that effective of a vehicle to go all the way across the desert and all the way to Orlando, Florida. It's not going to work. Some things that are obsolete, we should leave behind and never go back to, and only use that which is most effective. And in a sense, that is the main point and theme of chapter 8 of Hebrews. Though we would change, we wouldn't say that which is most effective, or what is most effective, but we would say who is most effective. That is Leave what is obsolete, never go back to what's obsolete, but stick to who is most effective. That is Jesus Christ. There are some things that are old that have some value, but are not really effective, especially when it comes to Christianity and the Lord. In fact, if you look at Hebrews chapter 8 verse 1, just the first verse, just the first few verses says, Now the main point is this. What a great text. So many times in preaching, you you look for a main central point. Well, here the Holy Spirit says, Hello! Here's the main point. Jesus Christ is supreme, and he is sufficient. He is a high priest of high priests. Leave behind Aaron and Levi and the Old Testament ceremonial sacrificial system and stick with Jesus Christ. And the Spirit of God is saying this to these Hebrew believers. Remember, they came to trust Jesus Christ. Life didn't get better. Life got harder for them. They're being persecuted and now they're being tempted to leave behind Christ and go back into the Old Testament Judaistic religion. To where maybe, at least in the day and age of this culture, maybe it's safer there. And so the Spirit of God is writing them, encouraging them to stick with Christ. Here, in this section, because he is the supreme and sufficient high priest. Everything else, in order to have a truly effective, wonderful, eternal life and be blessed by God, everything else is is obsolete. And it's Christ that is the most effective, because he is supreme, because he is sufficient. Now, we're going to see in this text seven different reasons why he is effective. And again, when I say effective, that is, in order to live by faith, in order to hear the Lord say, well done, my good and faithful servant, Jesus Christ is the one that we hold on to, that we stick to, that we never give up. On we've already seen in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, hold fast our confession. And we saw Hebrews 3.19 that the Israelites, because they were Unbelieving, they ended up at the end of their life not entering into the promised land. Out of all those Israelites that experienced the wonderful power and love of God and were delivered from bondage in Egypt, over two million, only two of them entered the promised land. Only two out of at least two million. That didn't end well. We want to end well. We want to end with effective faith at the end of our contest We do that by sticking with Christ. In one sense, it's very basic and very simple. But again, basic and simple in terms of breathing air and drinking water. If you don't drink water and breathe air, you die. Because go to the book of Hebrews and seek to understand its argument. The argument is, don't neglect this great salvation. Stay with Christ. Stay with Christ. Stick to Christ. Continue on in Christ. Have faith in Christ. Don't give up your faith in Christ. Over and over and over and over again. And if we're not careful, it can be a temptation to say, well, that's a good reminder. Okay, I'm going to move on. But we can't move on from water and air, because if we do, we die. We can't move on from Christ, because if we do, then we'll go apostate. It will be seen that our salvation was not real. So we want to stick with Christ. Now, to encourage us to do that, again, there are these seven reasons why we keep holding on to Christ, why we don't seek out other avenues of happiness, other avenues to fulfill us and to forgive us and to make us right with God. Rather, we stick with Christ. First, number one, Christ's exaltation. Christ's exaltation. And you see this, Chapter 8, verse 1. Now the main point and what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. It's describing God the Father here as the majesty. God the Father is the majesty. And right beside him, at the position of power, is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God that the Son of God is enthroned in heaven in a place of power and authority, in a place of glory and honor. This is pointing out that the Son of God, the Lamb of God, he is king. He has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Note, when you look at this text, it doesn't say, at the right hand of the majesty in heaven is Moses. You have God on the throne, God the Father, and then there's not a Moses. There's not a Joshua. There's not Elijah. There's not the Apostle Paul. There's the Lord Jesus Christ sitting down on the throne at the right hand of God the Father. Because he's King of kings and Lord of lords. And we've seen this earlier in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Toward the end, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is a place of regalness. The glory and the power and the honor belong to him. And you have in Romans 14.10 and Philippians 2, verse 11, where it talks about that all of us one day will stand before Christ. All of us will bow before the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ. So right away, this section in Hebrews is helping these believers and we ourselves to understand that trusting anybody else or any other system other than Jesus Christ is obsolete. It's ineffective. It's not going to work. Why? Because they're not king. There's one king of kings. There's one Lord of lords. There's one who is in charge of all things, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. We give an account to who? To me? No. Spurgeon? Calvin? No. A president? No. Pope? No. We give an accounting to Christ. He can't be obsolete then. And that's the message that's being given to these beloved Christians. We could be tempted, in many ways, to disregard or devalue Christ, not to make much of Him, whether it's because we're tempted with money, whether we're tempted with, with persecution, whether our family or peers are making fun of us, because we're Jesus freaks. but ultimately, they and we have to give an account to who to Christ. He then can't be obsolete. Verse 13 says that whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. There will be a day, not only when the, in this context, the Judaistic religion was fulfilled by the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, but really the whole world will be obsolete. In one sense, right? Heaven and earth is going to disappear. Everything will be obsolete except for Christ. He is king. He is Lord. The main point, again, is never go to what's obsolete, but stay fixed and focused on Christ. Why? Because he is your king. That's why you have Colossians 2.6 that says, Therefore, since we have received Jesus as Lord. He is your Lord and even if you haven't repented and trust Jesus yet he is still your lord and king he is not obsolete second a a second reason to stick with Christ to realize how wonderful he is how great he is and to then to repent and resolve as it says in Hebrews chapter 12, to fix our eyes on him, always pursuing him. Secondly, Christ's success. Christ's success. And we see this again in verse 1, where it says, He has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven on high. And we've seen this already. We saw this in chapter 1, 3, and we've understood how it's been worked out. And that is that when it says he's sitting down at the right hand of the Father on high, it's the idea that mission accomplished, mission achieved, that Jesus Christ's mission was victorious, his incartational mission 100% effective. There was no person ever on the face of the earth that could say 100% without any fault, error or sin, achieve success inward and outward according to the plan of God with 100%. Not even Elijah could say that. Could David say that? We've seen the life of Abraham when we went through Genesis. Could Abraham say that? No. Could Peter say that? No. Only Jesus Christ That's what's behind this idea that he's taking his seat. He's sitting down. He lived a perfect life of obedience, according to the Word of God. Died a perfect death, a substitutionary death on the cross for every sinner that would trust him. Rose again victorious, ascended to heaven, and sat down at the right hand of Father, proving, showcasing, demonstrating that his mission was 100% successful. Redemption has been accomplished. Therefore, for these believers, and for you and I, from the beginning of Hebrews till this point here, there is this this push of the Spirit of God to point out that there is only one reliable refuge to hide in. And that's Jesus Christ. There is no other safe refuge to hide from sin because only one was sinless who went through tsunami type of temptations and actually was your substitute on the cross receiving your just due of God's wrath and rose again proving he is Lord and Savior and he sat down saying redemption accomplished, work of atonement is done. Only one could truly, righteously say, It is finished! And that was Jesus Christ. There was no further work of atonement that Jesus has to do, and we'll see that in chapters 9 and even part of 10. His work of dying on the cross, satisfying the wrath of God for sinners, that blood work, that cross work, was 100% complete, 100% finished, satisfying fully the wrath of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3 says, all of us by nature are children of wrath, because we're born sinners. But Christ, dying in our place, satisfies that wrath of God. That is, the atonement was not just sufficient for all who trust. Certainly, it would be sufficient for everybody. But it is sufficient and efficient for those who trust him. So much so that it is finished. And so, in heaven, he sits down. Now, this is a metaphor. It's a picture. I'm not saying there's not a throne in heaven. But it's not the idea that, let's say, the Lord allowed you to go to heaven right now. It's not that... You would go to the throne, and Christ is sitting there on the throne 24-7, if there were time in heaven, right? It's not that Jesus, the Son of God, is just sitting there for all of eternity on the throne. That's not the idea. Rather, it's a word picture saying that the mission that God the Father gave to Jesus, he finished. It's done. And him, we have redemption. That work of redemption was completed. Nothing can be minus, nothing can be added to it. So we can rest and take refuge in the Son of God. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. We rest in Him alone. It is finished. Now, this is very applicable whether it's marriage, whether it's parenting whether it's leaving home and going to a different area to live in, whether it's a new job, whatever it, it might be, whether it's facing death. How many people have died in the last year that I've been close to? I, three, four? When I was at VJ Bruce's Memorial Service, Carrie Hardy was there, a pastor from Grace Community Church, and he's been pastoring, I don't know how long now, Maybe 40 years. And I said, Carrie, I think I I love you. I will do your memorial service if you want me to. But I I told Carrie, I said, I'm getting tired of doing all these memorial service services. It's like I've done three or four this year alone. And Carrie Hardy said, you know what? It's never going to stop. It just keeps coming. Because we live in Genesis 5. And he died. And he died. And he died. And he died, and he died, she died, she died, he died. It goes on and on and on. What am I saying? How does that have relevance to this? My hope and your hope is only one thing. It is finished. Jesus Christ did his work and sat down, meaning the work of redemption is accomplished in him. That's our only hope, is Christ Jesus Died on the cross, fully satisfying the wrath of God. There was that time years ago when I thought I was dying. And my only hope was what? Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. That's my only hope. My hope isn't, oh, I was a preacher. Oh, I went to India. Oh, I was a good husband. Oh, I was a good parent. I'm a failure in almost everything. I'm a failure at everything. But Jesus Christ... Died on the cross and took the burden of my sin and satisfied the wrath of God for the Hebrews then the point is why would you go to an Old Testament system that is anticipating what Christ would do when already Christ has accomplished the Messiah has already came and accomplished this plan and atonement and redemption of God stick with him, trust him Especially in marriage and parenting and work and fellowship. We all sin against one another all the time. All the time. I know some of you young guys are getting married. Marriage is hard. Why is it hard? Because you sin. You sin the most against the person you love the most. Be great temptation to get bitter. Then what do you do? You forgive the other believer based upon the atonement that Christ already made for their sin. So, this is why we stick with Christ. Or we fix our eyes on Him. Third, a third reason why we be careful about not being distracted from Jesus. About maybe going back. Maybe it'd be an old Roman Catholic system. When's the last time you've been to Mass? I've had. People close to me ask me, when is the last time that, that you've been to Mass? I, I don't go to Mass. <laughs> Christ died once and for all on the cross, satisfying the wrath of God. I don't have to keep going to Mass over and over again. I do partake of the Lord's Supper together with the saints as we look at what Christ has done for us. Christ's work is effective, and so we trust Him. Number three, Christ's place of ministry. Why we trust Jesus Christ more than some obsolete system, whether it's Roman Catholic, whether maybe it's a Baptistic tradition that is devoid of true Christ-centeredness. This third reason why we stick with Christ is because of Christ's place of ministry. Because of Christ's place of ministry. Verses 2 through 6. I think you could say it better this way. Jesus Christ has the better building program. Jesus Christ has the better building program. Have you ever been part of a church building program? Ever? I've been... I know some of you have seen Grace Community Church. Is Grace Community Church a big church? Grace Community Church is so small that you could take probably all of the property and stick it inside of the church I grew up in. First Baptist Church of Orlando. Huge, 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 huge church. I think now they have a football field. Huge megachurch. Okay? So there are large churches, and then there are megachurches. I want to tell you, Jesus Christ has a better building program than any of those churches. I've been at churches where people have donated $2 million to to build a fountain. That's, wow, a fountain. I think we need a fountain here. Would you guys want to donate money for a fountain? You can donate money for a fountain at your church. This is actually, in a sense... The temptation that would have been going on here in this passage. That is, again, these beloved Hebrews came to Christ, they're trusting Jesus Christ, and they're meeting where? In a small house church. Small house church. Somebody's house. And then they're being tempted and persuaded by others saying, you know, some of you have been placed in prison, some of your loved ones are in prison. Some of your belongings have, have been stolen from you because of your faith in Christ. You know, we have a, a synagogue, and we have the great second Judean temple there in Jerusalem. It's magnificent. You came to Jesus, and now you you made a teeny-tiny home. <laughs> They'll be so foolish. Come back to the Jewish temple and synagogue. That, that would have been their temptation, right? And so the Spirit of God is seeking... To, to encourage them about earthly, ornate, even earthly, ornate, biblically sanctioned buildings are obsolete compared to the church, the worship place, and heaven. Jesus Christ has the better building program, and he's the better minister. And you see this really in verses 2 through 6. Just look at these verses that are here. It says in verse 2, he's a minister in the sanctuary in the true tabernacle. That is, and that tent that preceded the temple and then eventually even even the the, the temple of God, this sanctuary, this tabernacle, they were really just sketches. They were shadows of what was to come. You see that in verse 5? But there is a true sanctuary and a true tabernacle which the Lord made, the Lord pitched, that's not made by man. It's not that the tabernacle and the temple were bad. It says in verse 5, who serve a copy, probably better would be to say a, a sketch, a, a prototype, and a shadow of what was in heaven. They were real, but the ultimate reality is heaven the sanctuary and the true tabernacle which the Lord made, and that is where Jesus is at. And verse 3 is going to expand and explain a little bit more that if there is this high priest, he has a sacrifice to make or gifts to give to the Lord. He's on earth, but he's of the tribe of Levi. Technically, Jesus was from what tribe? Judah. So, Technically, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, wouldn't have been allowed into the Holy of Holies on earth. He that is the Holy of Holies, being from the tribe of Judah, wouldn't be able to go into the Holy of Holies. He himself was the sacrifice, and he would make that sacrifice himself for his people. But those things... The tabernacle and the temple, they were a sketch, a, a shadow of what was to come, a, a prototype. Kind of like a Model T Ford, saying, that's not bad, it's good, and it has its usefulness, but that's just the beginning, something better is coming. And that is Christ and the work that he will do on his cross, and even the advocating work that he will do in heaven, Hebrews 7.25. And it was, though, on earth, the sanctuary and tabernacle, it was serious, you can see in verse 5, see that you make it according to this pattern which was shown to you on the mountain, because it was to sketch out what was going on in heaven. And verse 6 says, but now and the but now can even be translated furthermore, not not a strong contrast, but based upon this and developing, is that there is an even more excellent ministry. As he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. And it's dealing here with this place of ministry. There will always be this... I think temptation of bigger is is better. Now the opposite is not true. Like we, we can be tempted to think bigger is better. No, the bigger is not always better. But smaller is not better either. Right? It's not that having a small church is effective. It's not that having a big church is effective. It's that the Word of God and Christ Jesus and the Spirit of God are effective. That's why it's effective. And that's what this passage is saying to these beloved believers. That this Old Testament system had a a built-in ending point because it was pointing to the ultimate reality which was Christ, His ministry, and even His ministry in heaven. So why would you want to go back and use something that is just a pointer and a sketch and a prototype when the real thing is here? And that is Christ. Some years ago, I was in Pasadena, and you—some of you might remember my comments about this. I was in Pasadena at a friend's church, and I was talking to the pastor, and Lisa, you might remember this. And the pastor was, "Do you see the gold?" And like this church, it was really—I don't think it was a church; it's some kind of building. Um, And the the roof, I don't think it was solid gold, but the roof right here was gold. Do you see the gold? It has gold. He was very happy about it being built with gold. But I don't think doctrinally that they had a high esteem of Christ. They had a, a bigger esteem for this plated gold and not for For Christ. He was excited about this gold, is what I heard. Look at the gold! I would have rather have heard this pastor say, Look at Jesus! Look at Christ! Look at the cross! But that was lost. And I think that's what this passage in these verses is trying to get these Hebrew believers to understand. It's not that gold is bad. But all of these things in the tabernacle and the tent, even our our small churches, our our big churches, if they do not have a Christ dependence and a Christ dynamic and they're not Christ-centered on exalting Him, then they're obsolete. Can you have a big, huge church and it be an obsolete church? Yes. You can have a teeny, tiny church and it be obsolete. What makes it effective? That they and you and I, we bow to, we repent to, take refuge in Christ. Further, number four, a fourth reason why we never seek to take refuge in anything or anybody else other than Christ. Christ is effective. Every other thing is obsolete. Number four, Christ's ministry is biblical, and therefore the best. Christ's ministry is biblical. (laughs) Verses 6 through 8. Now, it's kind of funny to think about, but what the Spirit of God is saying to these Hebrew believers is... Following Jesus is actually biblical. As a Christian, do you want to be biblical? Yes. Then follow Jesus. And that's what the Spirit of God is saying to these beloved Christians here is actually these Old Testament people that are professing to follow Yahweh they actually, and they're calling you to leave Jesus, they are actually being unbiblical and they're not following the Messiah. You are following the Messiah. They need to be more biblical. He's saying to them, if these Jews want to be true Jews, they should do what? Trust the one they crucified. Let me show you this in the text, verses 6 through 8. You see, he says, but now, Furthermore, he's saying, based upon all that was just said, Jesus has obtained, you'll see uh, two times, he's a better covenant, better promises, and these are emphatic. Uh, Better promises, better covenant. It's a better ministry. Why is that? Well, he's going to say, really, in verses all the way from 7 to 13, and so we'll look at those in just a moment, but just generally, we could say it this way. It's not, you see in verse 7, for if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion for a second. There were faults with the old covenant, but it wasn't sinful, it wasn't bad, it wasn't, Evil, it was more like a tricycle compared to a motorbike. Okay, we've also said like a Model T compared to a modern day car. From a sketch to an actual beautiful painting. It wasn't that the Old Covenant was bad, but it had a built-in stopping point. It was simply a type of a prototype. And even the Old Testament itself, said this. So again, verse 6 is saying that Jesus Christ brings a better covenant, a better ministry, and its quality and its nature. And then verse 7 on is going to explain that. And first he says, because this first covenant, the old covenant, it had a built-in flaw. But note then what he does in verse 8, for finding fault with them, he says, and he quotes from the Bible. Verses 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. He's quoting from Jeremiah and Micah. And saying based upon the Bible that these people that basically are persecuting you, inviting you to come back to the Old Testament Judaistic religion, they should listen to their own scriptures. And so he quotes from Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. And note how even the Old Testament talks about the New Testament. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. New covenant. The Old Testament talks about the new covenant. With the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day, I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant, which the promise, agreement, which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." What I am seeking to point out now is from really from verses seven to verse twelve, he is giving grounding for verse six when verse six he says that Jesus has brought in a better ministry, a superior ministry, an effective ministry. He does that by quoting from the the Bible, from the Old Testament. So it's in essence that he's saying to these believers, if you really want to follow the Old Testament, you did what you should have done. You trusted Jesus. These other beloved people, these other beloved Jews, if they want to be more biblical, they should trust who? Jesus Christ. That's what, when it says in verse 7, you see the word for, and in verse 8, the word for, and in verse 10, for, he's building up this this argument that the Bible itself says, You should be trusting Jesus Christ. There is a new covenant that was to come. That new covenant came. So if you really want to follow, like Romans 4, if you really want to follow in the faith of Abraham, what should you do? You should trust who? Jesus Christ. If you really want to be biblical and follow the Bible, then... You make much of Christ. Paul says that he gloried in Christ Jesus. We keep on embracing Christ, not lust, lies, not a sinful lifestyle. We stick with who is most effective, and that's Jesus Christ. That is biblical. It's biblical to make much of Christ. That's why we talk about being Christ-centered or having a Christ-dynamic and our life, and our sermons, and our ministry, and our homes, and our marriages. Christ is truly the Son that we revolve around. And that is biblical. You can't be biblical unless your life is about Christ. There have been times when I've gone into churches, and i talk with members, talk with people, and sometimes they'll ask me many questions. But sometimes there's no question about what do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about God? Sometimes some people come to the Pilgrim Bible Church and they want to talk about all kinds of theology. What about, Tom, can, can we talk about Inflapsarianism? Tom, can we talk about Particular Redemption? Now, it's not wrong to talk about those things. But sometimes there can be all these discussions which are not unimportant. But sometimes there's no discussion about how wonderful, how unique, how special Jesus is. There can be many dialogues about many different subjects that are not bad. But if our conversation and our minds and our theology is just about all kinds of stuff that, though important, they're not that important, but we leave out Christ, then something's wrong. Our faith is in Christ. And Paul said he gloried in Christ, and he gloried in the cross. This new covenant ministry this faith that we have in Jesus, it's biblical, right? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can come to the Father except through him. What does that mean? Does it mean that Jesus is a tagline? In Christ's name, amen. He's a tagline that we put at the end of a prayer? He's the Lord. He's our Savior. He's our great high priest. He is the living word. Christ's ministry, it's the best because it's it's actually biblical. It's what God foretold, and so we should make him the center of our life. Number five, a a, a fifth reason. Christ's ministry of his enabling presence of of power. Tried to make it a little bit smaller. Christ and dwelling, uh, briefer, Christ and dwelling his people by his spirit. And we see this. Really, verses uh, 8, all the way down to verse 9. And he says, according to Jeremiah, refers to the Exodus again, where the Israelites came out of bondage, out of Egypt. And the Lord, he took them by their hand, right? He fed them, he gave them water, he gave them guidance with his word, he protected them with fire, divided the Red Sea, destroyed the whole army of Egypt, Gave them all these promises, said the promised land is yours and be flowing with milk and honey. And they said, Yeah, you know, we'd rather have the the leeks and and the onions. There's giants in that land. They they didn't believe God. And it says at the end of verse 9, And I did not care for them, says the Lord. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that God wasn't faithful to them, it doesn't mean that God didn't show any love toward them at all. He did. But eventually, there came a time in the life of these two million Israelites where God said, okay, you don't want to follow me. You you reject me. You want to go your own way? Okay. And he gave them over to themselves. He, he gave them what they wanted. And again, it goes back to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 19. So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. They didn't continue on in faith. And so they revealed that they truly weren't of God. And so God let them go. You don't want to believe in me? Follow me? Okay. In that sense, he did not care for them. But, look at verse 10. In the New Covenant, he says, After those days, when the New Covenant comes, after Christ comes and gives his spirit, I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts. So, in your intelligence and your affections and your will, your desires and your disposition, I am going to do something internally with inside of you. And this is also Prophesied though it's not quoted here, it is prophesied in the book of Ezekiel. You might remember this, Ezekiel chapter 36, very similar to Jeremiah 31, but look at Ezekiel chapter 36, just briefly. Verse 24. For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will speak. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart, and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. That's New Testament covenant language. And it's basically what verse 10, looking at Jeremiah, is saying here in Hebrews 8. That is, God is going to give his spirit, and it will work in every single believer's heart internally, and dwelling in them, enabling them, convicting them, illuminating them, revealing to them truth about God's word about God's written word. And even, as it says in Philippians uh, 2.11, working, uh, 2.12 and 13, working inside of them, enabling them to do the word of God. This is the new covenant. This is the spirit of Christ effectuating this work. We have the spirit of God because we're in Christ and that spirit within our hearts cries out what? Abba father we have this dearness to our god that we can say father you are my lord you're my god but you also are my father and we can pour our hearts before him say anything to him through christ because the holy spirit is working that in our hearts This is all the work in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Even these desires to want to do what the Word of God says and to be able to do what the Word of God says is caused by the Spirit of God. And this Spirit of God that's effectuating us, giving us power, it comes because we're in Christ. When you conquer sin, when you say no to sin and yes to God, that was ultimately what? That was the Spirit of God working in you. Empowering you, right? It talks about in Romans eight. If you want to know more about the Holy Spirit, read Romans eight. So much is there about the Spirit of God. We mortify sin by the Spirit of God. When we're conquering sentence because we're we're submitting to His Spirit. So, in a sense, then Satan is tempting these believers, saying, "Life is so difficult for you. It's really hard. Life was easier when you were in this other religion." you should go back to this other religion. But if they do that, they lose power. They lose the enabling power of God, which comes from the presence of God, of his spirit in their life. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples when he left them. Behold, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. Wherever you go, Christ with his spirit is there. So when you're tempted to Leave Christ. I've been a Christian. It's really hard. It's very difficult. People have died. People have betrayed me. I've been sinned against. Where are you going to go for power? You want power in life? Where are you going to find it? Only in Christ. Only in Christ. The enabling presence of the power of God to, to do his will is found only in Christ. So stick with Christ. Don't give up to Christ. If you don't know Christ, then today you can repent and call on the name of the Lord. Jesus, Lord, save me. I want to be regenerated and forgiven and be part of your family and go to heaven, Lord. That was number five, this Ministry of the Spirit of God. Quickly, number six. Christ's ministry brings a personal knowledge of God, and you can see it here in verse eleven. They shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen, everyone his brother, saying they will know me; they, they will know the Lord. The point, and verse eleven, as you can see, all will know me. Everyone his brother saying know the Lord. Everyone his fellow. Citizen, that means that, and, and the new covenant, raise your hand if you're a priest. How many priests do we have here this morning? I'm only seeing like three priests. Actually, every believer here is what? A priest. Every believer is a priest and has direct access to God. You don't have to be a Levite to go into the Holy of Holies. You go through Christ, and you cast your cares upon God. That's what verse 11 basically is saying, is that from the least to the greatest of them, that the youngest believer in this room has equal access to God than, than the most mature, oldest saint. But Both of you have the same equal access to God, because all of us go to God the Father through one means, Jesus Christ. So we stand in the glory of God. We have this introduction, Romans 5 says, because we've been justified by faith by Christ. That's ultimately the message of verse 11 to these Hebrews. Don't think that you're some kind of puny outcast and oh, only if you could know God. Because sometimes we do think, oh, only if I knew God like MacArthur. Oh, if I knew God like Swindle, like Spurgeon, like Calvin, like, like this person, like, like Piper. Each person, every single believer in this room, you have equal access to know God. You have a personal, real, vital relationship with God. Jeremiah 17.3, and this is eternal life. To know the only true God in Jesus Christ. You can know God and relate to him. But it's only through Christ. Again, John 14, verse 6. Why would you go to any other religion to know God? The only way to know God is through Jesus, according to his word. And then finally, number seven. Christ's ministry of achieved forgiveness... Verse 12 is incredible. I I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I remember their sins no more. And he's basically quoting from from Micah, one of the minor prophets. How many times is Micah quoted from the Old Testament? It's amazing. This chapter, Micah chapter 7. Don't worry, that plane is going to be part of my illustration. It truly will be at the end of the sermon. It's already written down. Micah, I think chapter 7 is an incredible chapter. And I'd use this chapter seeking to comfort a brother this week. Micah chapter 7, verse 8. Do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. Though I fall, I will rise. Though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is a light for me. Have you ever fallen? Yes. Everybody has fallen except for one, Jesus Christ. Though I fall, I will arise. And then later on, look at verse 18. Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity, who passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread. He's going to stomp on our iniquities, our our twisted perversions of sin. He's going to stamp out under his foot and he's going to cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. Wow. This is the Old Testament language about a forgiving God of love. And so Hebrews 11 is, again, it's still carrying this theme of to be biblical... You should really trust Jesus because the Old Testament teaches based upon not just anticipating now what Christ would do, but upon what Christ has accomplished is that your sins are going to be stomped out and thrown into the depths of the the ocean. God will no longer relate to you as a sinner, but as a justified saint because of this blood finished work atonement of Christ. That is, it wasn't now just anticipated. It was 100% fully achieved by God. So much so, he says, I will remember their sins no more. Again, he's not going to relate to a believer as a guilty sinner. You're justified. You're a saint. He relates to you as having the very righteousness of Christ. So then why would you go anywhere else? Have you committed sin this week? I have. And so I go to Christ. We confess our sin, right? John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. He is faithful, not yes to me, but more so to himself and to his word to do what he said. And that is to care for, to take out, to blot out, to stomp out, and to forget your sinfulness. And to treat you rather as, as it says in Hebrews 2, as a brother, So then the message to these Hebrews is, why would you go to this, this old religion? It's outdated and it's obsolete. For us, why would we go to any other place? Any other person, any other movement, any other system that's made by man is obsolete and ineffective compared to Christ. And so we stick with Christ and we trust him alone. So much so, verse 13 says that whatever is becoming obsolete, it's getting old and it's going to disappear. And I said this at the beginning. The whole earth and even the heavens itself will disappear. And everything will be made new. But Christ remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. Are you... Getting and growing closer to Christ, that's the main thing. I know there, life is hard, being a kid is hard, being a parent is hard, marriage is hard. I think getting old is hard, and I'm just starting to get old. Everything is hard. <laughs> Reminds me of the book of Ecclesiastes. Everything is what? Vanity. Everything is hevel. It's all just like a miss and it's all gonna disappear and it's all difficult because we live under a curse. But the hope and the answer and the, the glory and the happiness is in Jesus Christ. And that's who we look on and that's who we trust. I have to change, I apologize, I have to change the travel plans. Dennis, we're gonna to have to change the, the travel plans. I'm not gonna take a car across the U.S. Have you ever driven a car from the West Coast, all the way down into Florida. It's a long trip. I've done it a couple of times. I don't like it. Oh, it's difficult. We're going to fly. Now, we have a choice. We can take a 767, Alaska Airlines. We can go to Alaska, to Al- I mean, uh, Seattle to Orlando. Right, 767, sweet, nonstop. But there's also... A unique deal. And basically, it's free. You can go in the Wright Brothers airplane. And we're gonna leap off of Mount Rainier. So which would you take? You can fly with me in the 767, but if you want to go more natural or more organic, you can get in the Wright Brothers airplane. Experience history. Connect with your roots get in the right brother's airplane, and jump off of Mount Rainier. Which is going to be more effective? In a similar way, there are things in life which look cool, which can look fun, which can look entertaining, that may have some kind of cultural relevance. But ultimately, they're not as effective as Jesus. Trust Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your word. Help us, Lord, to understand this section of Hebrews. Lord, may our faith become more focused and more, in a biblical sense, more simple in you, Lord Jesus. We give it a glory and we thank you for your faithful love to us. Lord, thank you that you say, I will remember their sins no more. Lord, what what a great hope that is that you will not remember my sins. Thank you, Lord. We give you the glory. Amen.